What's your carnal theory? Hey there, you're listening to Carnal Theory, where we talk with experts from around the world to learn how taking command of our sexual story affects our personal wellness, sexual experiences, and relationships with ourselves and others. I am Abba. And I'm Amanda. And today on Carnal Theory, we're sitting down with Jean-Pierre Frost, a sex educator for Pleasure Pie and Good Vibes, and who hails from one of my favorite cities, Boston, Massachusetts. He has been interviewed by Our Bodies, Our Rights, and has led several seminars and discussion topics from sex and boundaries to communication and to long-distance relationships. Jean-Pierre, it's so lovely to have you on. I cannot wait to jump into this episode. I think there's going to be some really interesting discussions. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We're both excited. And to kick things off, as we always do on the show, we are going to ask Jean-Pierre to, to tell us the carnal theory that he's brought for us all to consider. And as a reminder to our audience, this carnal theory, it's something that we ask our guests to bring that's meant to challenge a, a presumption or perception that we might have that relates back to my sex bios monthly theme which this month is sex as a transaction and so jean-pierre has brought a carnal theory for us to to chat about and then also as a reminder we'll loop back on this carnal theory on jean-pierre's carnal theory at the end of the episode just to see if even during this conversation if our perceptions and presumptions might have changed a little bit or we've gained some knowledge and enlightenment possibly so Jean-Pierre, thank you. And could you share with us the carnal theory that you've brought for us? Yes, absolutely. So um, thinking about sex as a transaction, I think that there's many sort of levels of we can think about how transaction, what that means. Um, but I'd say to get to the root of things, I'd say that sexual freedom will catalyze a very positive shift in society. Um, and so it's, I think, important when we think about these transactions, um, sort of where this economy is taking place, um, especially in regards to uh, consent. So, Hot damn. <laughs> so, 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 so sexual freedom will catalyze a positive shift in society, like as, as, like, as like the focus thesis. Yes, yes, yes. Snaps, snaps to that. Yeah. I, um, to, to, to loop it back just as, uh, or to, to, to pull it together, maybe to showcase just how in alignment we are, like that is, that's an echo of my sex bios mission statement. We believe that, that sex education and empowerment is a vehicle for peace. Yeah. Peace that starts in yourself, that echoes into your relationship or relationships and then manifests and ripples out into your community and world. So that's, that's the sexual freedom, that's the education and the empowerment. And yes, totally a catalyst to yeah. a positive shift in society, yeah. world peace. <laughs> but truly, truly, so thank you for bringing that. Um, you also mentioned economies and this, this energetical transaction. Mm -hmm. um, I, think that, I think that we're starting to be a little more okay with the idea of energy as something that we have control over. I think there's more and more people who are 
getting okay with this idea, this radical kind of shift from maybe only God has power to like actually we can harness energy and have power. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that people are seeing that in terms of manifesting, in terms of, okay, we can manifest money, we can manifest a car, manifest a house, manifest a a partner. Um, And even energy exchanges of like, I hug someone and I feel their energy. Where do you, but, but I don't see that spilling over yet into sexual transactions, into sexual intimacy. Where, mm-hmm. where do you think that that is not connected in people's heads yet, that we're not making sense that actually we can manifest all of these things and we can connect into all of these energies I think partially it is the symptom of, I think, materialistic um, sort of thinking um, and in that sense that um, sometimes whenever we start talking about energy, right, it gets dismissed as like woo-woo or like new age. Um, yet, I mean, people are aware of energy, right, on many levels, whether it's physical, whether it's, you know, we're doing Zoom meetings, right, people get Zoomed out. Well, what is that? It's It's your... We, we have these sort of different um, sort of rivers of energy that I think all coming from wherever our ocean is or whatever, whatever you want to, however you want to think about it. Um, so I think that part of that is, this is the disconnect. It's also, um, people are really stuck. I, I'd say that as far as sexuality goes, despite the sort of progress we're making, the sort of still in the dark ages, um, I would say when it comes to, um, to sexuality and that's partially because we don't have a really great um, infrastructure as far as sexual education. We also seem to not place that high of a priority on education in general. So then you think about sex education, it's it's getting relegated to the to the, the bargain bin at Filene's, you know what I mean? I don't even think people remember Filene's, but um, <laughs> you know, it's sort of getting like this sort of relegated to this low status. And I, I think that this is a, an area that has been unexplored and has a lot of untapped uh, potential. So um, I would say that the, I think that I've always thought about, you know, there was this, this time where we learned to harness the atom and, you know, we did something that was remarkable yet horrific in creating um, the atom bomb, right? And this thing really changed a lot of people's lives, but in, in sort of like a negative, very negative way. And so I believe in like a love bomb, right? Or, or like a, some, a basically a way to harness that same energy. I mean, if we can go and harness an atom, what can we do with something, you know, like whether you want to call it love or that sexual energy in terms of, you know, having a blast radius that actually signals a great sort of uh, shift in our society. So I've always thought about this concept and being like, how do I create this love bomb? How do I do this? Um, Because it feels as if the gradual sort of path of things is a little too gradual. And I think that we needed we needed some of this sexual freedom yesterday. <laughs> we needed it yesterday. And so I think it's like we're trying to catch up, you know. I think that we we have a lot of work to do. Um, so it also kind of feels like this over the course of like 
history of humanity, I guess. There's been this, it's like an ebb and flow. It'll, it'll come forth a bit in, in, into cultures that are much more sexually liberated, but then it like, like, you know, influences of like colonialism or et cetera, like the, the movement of different religions changes that. Um, and so because it's so slow, it's very easily backed up again. So yeah, I like that, that idea of like, just we need big change. (laughs) And here we are, I mean, some of us are in the States and we're going, we're going backwards here. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Very in, much in, so. In, in terms of owning our own bodies, in terms of rights, in terms of can we question things? There's a lot. Of, okay, I'm, I, I, I'm, I don't want to stifle everything. We're pushing forward in a good few ways. And we're also being pulled back in a good few ways. So that's a, that's a real-time example of this ebb and flow, of this push and pull. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So... You had said, Jean-Pierre, that you believe in that sex lives in the realm of a hidden economy. Um, yes, what is a hidden economy? Like, what, what does that look like? And what else might be a part of this hidden economy? And how do we get yes. out of this? How do we get into the public economy? How do we push it forward? <laughs> we need a full, fully clear blockchain. Everything is transparent, but like in, in check. <laughs> Transparency is good. Um, I think that hidden economy, I also don't want it to always have maybe such a negative connotation. But I would say hidden economies are going to be those things which are not being explicitly done. So, for example, I would say, you know, if, um, if we're talking about, say, sex as a transaction, right? If someone is, um, let's say it's a sex worker, you you have some transparency. Maybe someone says, hey, I want these services and I'm gonna pay for these services and there's another party they agree. That is not so much a hidden economy. It's a hidden economy because like this probably isn't an audience unless they're taping for OnlyFans or I don't know. But like still, those things are gonna really be like, um, it's almost like um, like very good consent. Everything is really out in the open. I would say that's like the explicit. I would say hidden economies are going to be, and going with sex as a transaction, um, an unfortunate example maybe is um, in a heteronormative example, just to keep it real. Um, if two people go on a date, man pays, and the woman may feel like um, she is partially obligated to um, do something sexually with the man and the man may also feel that way. But sometimes that's not quite right. Sometimes someone simply thinks that they're supposed to pay for the date and they're not expecting sex, but the other person, you know, thinks that if they do pay it in the arts. So it can, it can create this sort of weird situation, right? And so I said that there's, there's this sort of like hidden economy is when people are not quite sure about the um, some of the energy that they're exchanging. You know, mm. if you want to talk about politics, if you want to talk about, I think that, you know, we have this president where there is an economy around hate of the president. You mm. can, there is an economy around, you can buy variants of a Make America Great Again hat, right? 
those, but the it's it's still sort of feeding into um, what sort of got them there actually in the first place, right? So there's a hidden economy. Um, sometimes I feel like you know I don't watch videos um, and, and like police officers killing our unarmed black people because there is a hidden economy of black pain being consumed, mm. right? I don't want to participate in that economy um, and it, it just doesn't really appeal to me. I don't really watch Orange is the New Black. I know it's a great show. I know people say it's a great show, but I don't want to really watch people in prison. That's just, that's just me. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with people for doing that, but I think for me, I'm very much aware of where I'm putting that energy, what I'm really investing into. Because anytime we're consuming, anytime we're doing that, we are exchanging energy, we're exchanging our time, our focus. So I think when um, talking about this this sort of like um, world of hidden economies, especially as related to sex, it really does come down to consent. Like you said, Amanda, it is good that there is a level of transparency so that people do know what economies that they are participating in. Yeah, yeah. I guess, how do you, is it always inherently um, like a negative thing if it's hidden? Is that, is there a need for it to become more transparent or is there ways in which it's, you know, it's totally fine that it's a, it's a more of a hidden economy? So nuance, I preach the gospel of nuance, all right? There is explicit consent and there is implicit consent. Both exist, right? So just looping them back there. It is really important that I think it, it really does depend on the situation. Um, again, it, I, I can't speak for, for every situation, but I will say that, yes, sometimes it is more appealing for some people to have things be more implicit, sort of under the surface. And there's still very, very real feelings, very real expressions of closeness, of desire, of that sort of thing. But you have to be careful because some other people, depending maybe on their past, what if there's more of a, a trauma? Like I know that personally, I, you know, sometimes I like to play a prank or I like to sort of like, you know, like almost like scare someone a bit. Not not like, you know, like just, just sort of like surprise someone a bit. But there's those people that really appreciate that and they laugh and they, and they think, you know, great. And then I think there's the people who are like, whoa, you know, like I had this horrible situation and you can't jump out of me, this and that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Right. And so I think that it's, in the end, we need to just have the, that ability to communicate with one another, you know, if there is an ouch, because it's not, it's never gonna be like perfect, you know? Yeah, yeah. So do you think that this this goal of, of sexual freedom and, and, and either getting rid of or um, properly managing these hidden economies is through communication? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, just to make it even more complicated, there's implicit communication and explicit communication, right? Um, one of the most, um, let's, let's talk about, say, like relationship-wise. What's one of the most terrifying conversations for people to have? Either breaking up or seeing somebody who wants to be in a relationship, right? 
both of those because like it's easy to just sort of date and you're just sort of doing your thing. What happens when you got feelings or you want to, you're like, well, you know, maybe I can wait longer. Maybe this person, you know, thinks there's a lot of sort of like can be a lot of anxiety built up because you don't quite know how the other person is going to respond. And then you're giving a tell. You're putting, you're putting all your cards out there. And that can put you in a very like vulnerable position, right? But in general, somebody's got to initiate the talk. Somebody's got to be able to do it. So I think it's really a matter of the communication element as well as courage. Courage, because, and I love the word courage is because it's based on like the, the French word, like for heart, like my core, mm. like my heart. Um, so I believe that we can, we can learn to adopt a vocabulary and sort of prevaricate our intentions through, through the vocab, right? And in a way, we can, we can communicate very cowardly because we're just sort of putting up a bunch of, a bunch of walls and sort of you know, trying to be dodgy. But I think courageous communication is being able to come with that sort of um, I think it really comes down to your, your self-worth, being able to come and realize that, you know, no matter what happens, that you truly value yourself and that you are doing what's best for you. You know, I always tell people, um, focus on the dynamic rather than the person, because it's going to take you a while to really get to know uh, a person. But dynamics are very telling. And sometimes we ignore the dynamics because we're so enamored with the person. You know, we're looking at, you know, how great they are, how great this could be. You know, we're looking at all that. But sometimes we're, we're beginning to ignore um, really us, how we feel. And there's actually a really interesting book, guys, that people read called The Passion Trap. It's really interesting. It's old, but it was a really, really eye-opening thing. But sometimes- Say it get, again? Called, the called the what? Trap. The passion trap. Passage trap. Passage trap. Passion trap. Passion trap. Passion trap. Okay. Basically, it's, it's, it's talk about how usually in relationships, you usually don't get this sort of like, um, sort of equal balance that usually you may have one partner who's one up and one, one down, and sometimes there may be a shift. But that in general, when you're a one down sort of partner, you are, you're sort of, um, sort of, chasing a bit you're sort of giving chase and, and I think that there's like nothing that's wrong with that I think it's just being aware of how big that imbalance is and using your your communication to address when you feel things um are out of balance or that the dynamic is off of I hope everybody's listening you're you're laying down some really really <laughs> great knowledge I'm like take now take now all right all right um that what you just said reminds me of something that um I listened to a, a podcast forever ago. I kind of want to say, I mean, like back when like Tim Ferriss was like really hot in the podcast, oh, yeah. which he probably still is. I just don't listen to it anymore. Yeah. Um, there was some episode, I want to say it was him, but um, hopefully I'm not giving the wrong shout out. Um, and it was this episode and he had somebody on and I remember she was talking to him about the awesome factor and how 
relationships that have an awesome factor, which I'll explain what she meant by that in a second, tend to do better and last longer. And, and her version of the awesome factor was at least one partner just thinks that the other partner is fucking awesome. Like, bees knees, how did I get so lucky? I am so proud, excited, empowered, and just fucking love this other person because of how awesome they are. And that it's not necessarily a bad, as I recall the episode years and years ago, it's not necessarily a bad thing for both partners to not have that, but one partner having that, and that's, that's where I kind of see this, like, whatever this, like, level up, whatever mm. is. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean like, it doesn't mean that the person who thinks that the other partner is awesome is in the lower position necessarily. It just, in, in, you know, in our hierarchical BS, but it just means that like, there is passion there. There is excitement for, for the other person. They think that they're awesome. And so there's like this work of wanting this greater likelihood of wanting to put work into making something of the relationship and, and keep it going hopefully a relevant side note just it, it, it triggered that because i've thought about that awesome factor a few times and I've, I've kind of like checked myself like do i feel like my partner's awesome are they the one thinking i'm awesome or do i think they're awesome like is this going to work <laughs> and she was a relationship coach you know and and, and talking through these things um and, and yeah I, I wonder how that dynamic continues to play in terms of in terms of sexuality specifically yeah, I, I I say that um, it's it's perfectly fine to feel like someone is awesome. I think it's just that you have to also feel like you're awesome yourself. I think that that is a big thing when when we're deferring to someone else's awesomeness. I think that's where the the issues come from. Yes, so I, think, I think that <clears throat> excuse me. That's an important distinction from what I was saying for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. healthy relationships. I think. Um, definitely involve I, I believe two individuals who are um who are sure of themselves to some degree excuse me maybe they can't be i'm not saying people have to be like these like all knowing of the self because the self is infinite you know we'll never stop getting to know ourselves and hopefully you know we don't stop that process because you know I, i'm sure one day we won't be able to do None of that. <laughs> it will all be. It will all be over. But I think that to me, that's what gives me the joy in living every day is getting to um, know myself more and the world around me more. And so those are things when I think about relationships, I think about like what I'm going to bring as opposed to what I'm going to take. Mm. Take is perfectly normal. We we are going to give and take. That's that's the way things work. You know. But um, having that mindset, I think for me is like, you know, I would say for me, when my awesome factor is when someone is like my muse. I like to say when someone's my muse or my inspiration because it helps me to hold them in a light that is sort of, um, sort of separated from time, you know, because we don't, I, you know, I don't know how long my, anybody particular relationship will last with someone and I don't want to put that constraint on it either so for me when I think about someone as my muse as my inspiration 
I know that I have many sources of inspiration, right? But I can still, you know, really love and appreciate, you know, if the inspiration that someone brings to me. So to me, that's sort of like my awesome factor. It's like, does this person inspire me? You know, do they do, do I, you know, um, also in terms of when we're talking about sort of this hidden thing, non-transparency is like, do they, if we're going to dance, right? I don't want to know everything about this person up front. That's the other thing I think where, where transparency gets confused. It's like, being transparent doesn't mean, okay, I got to give you everything to have, you know, it's like, we can still serve someone a five course meal. They just have to wait, like just give them courses, you know, don't, don't try to shove it all in their face like a buffet. I mean, unless you want a buffet, but we, we won't be back to buffets for some time now. With all <laughs> but I think it's like important. I like to think of it like serving um, a delicious you know, five course meal, or maybe infinite course meal, right? Where we are being conscious about that energy exchange because exchanging information is also an energy exchange. So yeah, exactly. And so would you say in that case it's like also don't be the the partner that's coming in going, so what's for dessert? What's for dessert? Like where do we get how do we get to the end? Right. This like is, be, this is be there along problem. for the meal, along for right. the journey of the of the meal. They already want to find a ring in their shepherd's pie or in their lemon meringue or whatever the hell people eat in these meals. Um, they're waiting for this and it's Perfect. like, whoa, yeah. It's like, well, we gotta, we gotta, uh, we haven't even gotten the main course yet. You know, it's, it's, I think it's like, we, we, we do need to, I know I talked about sort of speeding things up as far as we need to progress. But we also need to take our time. We need to slow down. In the West, we're, we're really microwaving it. You know, 90-day fiance. <laughs> 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 it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We gotta, like, we gotta slow down a bit, you know? We gotta like feel things, let things develop, you know? I know we got digital cameras, but sometimes you need to go out with your, your old school camera, your Nikon, whatever, your Canon, and go in a dark room and really develop something, you know? Mm. I think there's something very romantic and poetic and profoundly awesome about a process like that. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of the times society has kind of put these like benchmarkers on, um, maybe success is the wrong word, but like you're like so lucky that you've gotten to this benchmarker or this benchmarker or this benchmarker and it pushes people to jump to those way too fast um it, and it it's really plus we do that with this like constraint so i i'm getting married in like a month and a half and um oh, <laughs> thank you and we're going through this like ceremony like planning our ceremony and a lot of the language is really we like it's just I, and I used to work at a wedding venue so I have like for years just like listened to these ceremonies and it's very kind of aggressive with the language of restraint and um just like limits like you you are now bound to this person for the rest of your life until you die and and we all know that that's just kind of bullshit because 50 percent of americans get divorced so um or marriages <laughs> end in divorce make it kinky it's all right exactly 
<laughs> so we're like reframing a lot of the language where it's like to have and to hold and um as long as we both shall live we're changing it to well, as long as we both shall desire because <laughs> like it's absolute bullshit we both have divorced parents and 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 i think these these limits we're being forced to jump to these like these transactional like moments where they're like i'm gonna give you this and you're gonna give me this but also we cannot do anything outside of this for the rest of our lives it puts all this pressure on people to stay in unhealthy relationships because of the pressure of um like you've made this decision like now you're gonna lie in this bed literally um i guess we're moving really fast and then like pr putting pressure on ourselves to stay there and and like, I don't so really know if there's a question. To this lie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know where my like, question was, but no, it's okay. I was like, com commit to this lie because that's what society and these societal transactions and these hidden transactions have like prescribed that you have to do. You have you have to do these things. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in general, whether it's a marriage or any kind of relationship. A lot of times there's there's not really a lot of practice around like people normally say, oh, I'm in a relationship. But what does that mean? This is like it's like signing, it's like people are going to sign a contract and like haven't read it. Like and and two people may have different contracts. <laughs> they don't even yeah. realize what yeah. they're signing. So I think it's really important that people's <clears throat> people's values are in alignment. I'm always gonna go back to people's values being in alignment because when the values are not in alignment, it's like having a um, having a thread loose maybe in one of your your favorite articles of clothing, and you keep putting it in the wash because it's like, well, you know, you got to keep washing it. That's good, but if you don't, you know, find a way to, you know, either take a lighter, burn that thread, maybe so it doesn't, or if you don't address that running thread, eventually it's gonna unravel. Even though it's a tiny, tiny little thread. Over time, if it goes unaddressed, it begins to sort of fold up the seams. So I think it's really important that people have marriages or bonds of values that um, I would like to say that it's it's better if people do not look at each other and actually look at the same goal and walk side by side towards that goal. Because again, everything is changing. We're growing. I think the best relationships, if I harken back to sort of the, um, the tantric way, <clears throat> the way it looks at things is we want to be touched in a way. And when I say touched, I mean, not just physically, but in many ways, we want to be touched in a way that expands us. Because if you notice, whenever you, even though contraction is a part of orgasm, da, 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 but when you are contracting it's a very it's a very palpable very like almost psychosomatic thing where you know you are there's some part of you that's hesitant that's resisting right and what is that that could be something within you it could be something in the dynamic there's all these uh these all these things reasons it, it could be so i always like to think that my relationships with people should make me expand they should open my eyes to ways that Maybe I did not see life before um, because to me, that is my ideal relationship. Everyone's got their own sort of ideal. But me, I want to expand. I want to learn. Um, I want to 
really, like I'm a person who wants to like really live life to the absolute fullest. So I definitely don't want to be in any sort of relationship that makes it feel like there's an arbitrary binding, right? I don't want an arbitrary binding. I want to be bound by choice. In the, in the truest sense of consent, continual choice. I respect if I were to get married and someday someone were to say, you know, I don't know if I feel this way. If I truly love that person, then I feel like I can say, and what a great journey this was. You know, whatever the hurt is, I can take the hurt, but it's beautiful that we're choosing. I've heard a quote that says that everything that's beautiful ends, you know? Um, and endings can come in a bunch of ways, so I don't want this to sound too grim, but I am very comfortable with the idea that there's impermanence, that one, that we, we are continually growing, and so from on my end, if we're talking about communication, I would communicate that value to someone because maybe someone else has put a heavier um, value on sort of tradition or a heavier, um, heavier emphasis on um, what they feel is commitment. Like some people really feel strong, like, well, if you get married, then like, you know, we've, we've heard this word, like, well, you gotta stay, you know? And the thing is, as long as me and another person, me and that person are really on the same page, then I think it will lead to that sort of, you know, wonderful expansion, hopefully. Well, now that everyone who's listening is in love with you, um, I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> And what's your number? <laughs> Um, I think that makes for a perfect segue of talking about <laughs> what's your sign? Um, cause you brought up, you brought I was up like just thinking this, <laughs> I was like, wait, are you a Sagittarius? I, I am indeed a Sagittarius. I'm right, I'm right on the line. I, I knew am, it. I'm November 23rd. So I'm actually, I'm a zero degree Sag. I'm right on the cusp. I have a, I have some Scorpio to me. You do. Um, yeah. Um, the, well, the, the transition there was you. You mentioned you mentioned <laughs> before we, we didn't dive too deep into that. <laughs> you had mentioned um, uh, in in in, the, in our pre-called like the, the astrological reasoning of um, of of sex being transactional. Can you can you speak more to that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if we look at the the wheel of the zodiac, there is polarity present um, in all of them. So Aries and Libra have a polarity and that makes them attracted to one another because they're sort of the shadow of one another. So if we talk about when I mentioned Scorpio, its other um, side of the pole is going to be Taurus. And so Taurus is really a house of um, very like apparent values, right? It's, it's explicit values. Taurus really is about building, right? It's about building, it's about sustaining. And on the other side, Scorpio is usually um, the other part of destroying. Nature both grows and it also cleans away things that are no longer needed. So Scorpio typically falls under the realm of um, things that are this sort of hidden economy. Um, and bring it up because Scorpio is a sign that also rules the genitals. 
And when I think about um, Tantra or think about like the chakras, you know, your sexuality is contained in that uh, root chakra. I believe it's Muladhara. I don't know. I haven't looked at it in some time. So I'm just going off the cuff. That may, that may be the wrong one. But that root chakra is um, that gateway. It's right where the, the PC muscle is, the perineum is. And if you notice, that's the area that really controls a lot of the orgasm, um, the little physical function of contracting and expanding. And I look at it as the gateway because, you know, we have in general the seven chakras, but there's, there's, I don't want to get into that, but there's, there can be lots of chakras, few chakras, but the, the idea is that if we just look at the general idea of going up the spine and coming up to the head, is that there's this, this sort of wonderful connection that we don't have to relegate the sex to the basement. It doesn't have to be relegated there. That's why I was so attracted to Tantra because it did not separate sort of like spirituality and sex. It didn't say that, you know, in fact, it exalted it because it was a part of this whole experience that we have. So when I think about if this sort of in the economy, if this, this area, if it's not well tended to, it actually can result in the, the repression can lead to violence. It can lead to very negative and unwanted outcomes in people because it's a powerful gateway. You know, it's super, super powerful. And something that I've learned along in my sort of my own uh, sexual journey is learning that to experience like the orgasm, that sexual energy all over my body. A lot of times it tends to be relegated to that area. And it's, it's very like local inside the body. But I've learned to, in general, whether it's with a partner or by myself, is to allow the energy to actually go through my body. And I always sort of visualize this, this sort of opening. And it's like, it's like gratitude, but also this like opening and this expansion. And when I do that, all sorts of other things come in because the creative uh, urge and pulse is one with that. So I find that it, it actually... Um, really just like, I think about it expanding my life, you know, I think about, and, and I've had this energy even without um, very sort of like uh, physical sexuality. I've had it with, I've wrestled with another person and had an orgasm because of the exchange of our energy, mm -hmm. right? I have woken up in the middle of the night and almost had a rebirth in the same way that like, you know, my breathing, I was having an orgasm through my breathing as it was going through my body. It doesn't happen to me. It doesn't happen to me like once. So it doesn't happen all the time. But I was awakened to this wonderful sort of power and what it could mean. Because that orgasm I had, say, waking up was not so much, I don't even know if I'd say it's strictly sexual. It felt like I was being born again. It felt like like a baby like when you take your first breath. And there's something very, I think, beautiful and sort of renewing about that process. And to bring it back to Scorpio, Scorpio is a sign of renewal. It does the renewal through sort of getting rid of um, all of these sort of um, accumulated things in us. We got to get rid of the waste. You know, you brush your teeth because you accumulate plaque, right? So I feel like in the same way, orgasms help to remove the, the plaque, um, the energy blockages. You know, I'd say particularly, I think everyone's got energy blockages, 
particularly women, have a lot of energy blockages, right? And so um, I remember learning about, I was intrigued by tantric massage because of the healing properties. Yes, it could be sexy to do internal massage and so forth, but to help someone to clean, to clear those sort of those channels, those meridians, whatever you want to call them, so that their energy can just flow more freely and they can feel more productive and they can feel more creative and feel more alive. Um, I think that, that there, this is just a glimpse, I think, of some of the really wonderful frontiers of the way that we can harness this, this power, you know? I'm going to figure it out. I feel like I'm going to figure it out one day. I um, love it. But, and that's a beautiful gift just to give in general. But if you're you're if you're with someone, it almost seems like a duh thing to do, and yet we don't. Like, why why wouldn't you do things that would make your partner at their best, which is then going to either make your relationship at its best or possibly be reciprocated, so that you're both like leveling up in essence yeah. or whatever it is, or or at least not being stagnant. You know, you're talking about blockages yeah. at a minimum not having this stagnation, which um, can be a cause for getting out of a relationship or having a dysfunctional relationship or, or whatever. Um, so that just, that's just seems so duh, and yet we don't. The does and the don'ts, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Make that another month's theme. <laughs> Amanda, did you want to ask if, if there was other ways, if there's other ways of sex as transaction? Do you feel like we kind of covered it? Yeah, I, um, I think we've been kind of talking about a lot of the different ways that sex is a transaction. Um, we have like hidden economies, like you were, you were saying, um, you know, there's sometimes it's not a transaction that is mutual, um, where someone has expectations and they're not exactly reciprocated or maybe they are, but the other person doesn't want to reciprocate them fully. Um, but th there's like that first date transaction taking place and there's energy transactions taking place. There's all these different transactions. What, um, a lot of people hear the word sex is a transaction and they immediately think of sex work. They think of like a literal transaction of money or goods for sex, but there's these other exchanges taking place. Yeah. Um, what are some other examples of, of this? If we're going from like, um, let's say, let's say that I'm, I'm going to approach someone new. I, excuse me, I may have a lot of experience with this, but it doesn't mean I don't have to sort of, all right, get myself sort of, you know, sort of ready. I mean, what is that? I, I am, I am taking myself sort of from, um, this level that I'm at, and I sort of have to step it up a bit, right? Yes, I feel like I'm very natural, but it's but we also want to put our best foot forward. Like it's you know sometimes in relationships the banter sort of falls off, and the flirting sort of falls off, and the seduction sort of falls off because we have someone, right? We have we feel like we have um, like we paid for like a year's worth of like the Netflix subscription. And so why, why are we gonna, you know, rent movies? Like why should we rent movies? I don't know if that's a very good example. Um, it's a maintenance part, maybe. The maintenance part, exactly. And some people really just sort of relax on that. And I think that, that that is 
sort of um, that is another example of you're coming in with sort of one idea of what this what this transaction will be, and some people think it's final. But the transact with the energy trans, it's all it's ongoing. You know, it's it's actually ongoing. Um, other ways to sex the transaction, um, allowing yourself to be open, right? To to exchange that energy, like to get sexual with someone. For me, it's like, oh, there's no thing, like whatever. But also, I think it also is really important and glorious and meaningful. To open yourself up is you're exposing your body. You're taking off the, the layers of your clothes. You're, you're getting naked, you know? Um, and that way, it's also transactional. It could, it, again, I, I mentioned trauma earlier. If someone's had a good amount of trauma, you know, it may be that they need they need more time before they feel comfortable. So they need more of an exchange. They need to feel more comfortable and secure. And those things take effort. Some people may not be willing to do that. You know, maybe this person is, you know, you've seen on OkCupid, it's like, how many dates until you have sex? People are like one to two. Some people is like three to four. Some people are like six or more, you know? Well, what if there's someone who's a six or more and there's someone else who's maybe a, a one to two or, or three to four? Um, neither one of these people is wrong in their perspective. I think it just shows that one person's, for lack of a better word, got a certain price tag and the other person's got a different price tag, so to speak. They need, they're going to need some more of an investment. Um, Are there tools to help understand that those expectations are different like I, I, I speaking as someone who, uh, who who is a woman identifies as as a woman um, there's a common thread in in dating culture and the dating scene that whatever the other person's expectations are like you're saying like some people might be a six some people might be a one or two mm -hmm. like there's this like oh man past I don't know past three and it kind of depends where you where you are in life and blah 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 but like oh my god like past three like oh this person's impossible like where do you think we get this idea in this in this this is like I guess more specifically like the sex transaction of dating this idea that like past this number of dates like isn't worth it like why we start to judge people based upon this this number of dates or, or how they, as you say, put a price tag on themselves or rank themselves or whatever, like it's just different expectation. Right. Why we, I guess there's a lot of things going on there. It's like why we <laughs> view that as this benchmark of, yeah. uh, of needing it. Like, are there other things? Are there other ways of communication that we could be getting something similar, like a similar fulfillment? Um, yeah, you might not even you might not even have an answer, but I'm just thinking like, why do we place this like two, three, four number? You know, like why? Um, it doesn't really so help us. We're partially educated by um, media, what we see. I think there's a lot of things about oh, you're supposed to call somebody back after only the third day. You're supposed to have sex on the third day. Maybe people just thought the threes just sound good. I don't know. Um, you know, there's, we, we have friends who 
also buy into certain ideas and they're going to be, I think, a large part of the way that we form our ideas around dating because these are going to be the people that we talk to about who we're dating and we're going to be open and asking for their input. Um, so to focus more on like, I mean, obviously there's, there's, we have lots of expectations in society. As far as I think overcoming them, um, I think it's a simple yet um, difficult way to deal with it. And that is to be present. <clears throat> when you're not present, there's always a focus on some other point that you're getting to. Amanda talked a little bit earlier about um, sort of like these benchmarks. And I think there's also an idea of the relationship escalator. Have you heard of this? Relationship escalator, or sometimes even a sexual escalator where sex is seen as pretty much almost linear. It's almost following this sort of pattern of things. Whereas typically when it comes to people having the, the queer sex or non-heterodormative sex, it tends to be on the wheel where there's all these possibilities and the expectations are way loosened. And I think it's more about having a pleasurable experience, you know, cause some people, their benchmark is, okay, the first time we had sex or the first time we kissed, the first time we did that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with people wanna sort of have those ideas. And yeah, I think the solution is you can look someone in their eyes and pee open. It is not comfortable, especially if you have not maybe gone certain places. But if you open yourself, I believe, to feeling and you're there and you're ready to feel, then it will really open things different because communication is great, but there's also a saying that talk is cheap. And so, you know, we can all talk sort of a good one, but you can't like fake feeling. You know, you really can't fake it. And I think when you bring yourself, like I said, that open energy and, you know, um, and you sort of free yourself from the expectations, you begin to sort of like taste other things. Um, you begin to savor other things. It is not like, like we are disregarding what is what is happening. Like, like some people are like, how do I get turned on or like how do I get to sex well to me I think I, I mentioned like in the form was talking about sex is part of the creative energy that's everywhere all the time so it's really a matter of being open to it and to receiving it um that's not to say that people that you know of course like sometimes I'm not in the mood where I'm not like I'm not saying that it's more like I think when you're open more to the flow you can sort of like when you're with the person, you don't have to like turn it on. You just really like open yourself. And you can, if you, if you really do that, you can feel so many things flooding in, desire. I think this is also gonna be a big part. Um, and then we talk about relationships in a more like sexual sense, but even friendships, you know, there was this weird thing where people are talking about, you know, you can't have, you know, friendships with people of like the opposite sex or something different, which is, you know, definitely BS, but there is a cultural sort of precedent around this. And I think we, it's okay to like let yourself just have these feelings. I have a friend there, non-binary. We 
Is there sexual energy? Like, yes, there is. Is there creative energy? Are we kindred artistic spirits? Like, absolutely. And there's something so lovely. They're out there out in like another part of the country, right? And we have been connecting through Zoom. They've done some wonderful figure drawings where they sort of um, get naked and allow people to draw. And at first I was like, how, what am I going to do? I can't really draw. I'm a terrible artist. I can't draw for shit. But I do know how to write. And they inspired me to just write about them. And even that process was incredibly transformative. It was incredibly orgasmic. It was a lot of things at once. But I was allowing myself to feel that, right, being open without coming with the socializations that say, okay, you're a guy, this person has a vagina, so you need to take steps to like secure the vagina. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't have to always like think about security. Like if it's meant to happen, then it will happen. But we're being open with each other, we're being honest with each other. And that's beautiful within itself. It doesn't have to be like the transaction that me and this person are having is just a very genuine sort of exchange that's very free and unencumbered by some of the expectations, you know? I think that perfectly pulls everything we've been talking about together and back to your carnal theory, which we like to loop around to at the end of the episode. Everything you just gave a detailed description for is sexual freedom. And when you have that, that will catalyze a more positive society. Um, So that's a, that's a beautiful wrap up. Um, Thank you. Thank you so, so much. I'm curious if you could say the name of the book that you mentioned again, as well as if you have any other uh, book recommendations. Oh my gosh, book recommendations. Do you have another hour? Um, so I would say um, The Passion Trap is a, is a is sort of, it's an older book, but it's good. I think there's a lot of nuggets. There's a lot of things that maybe people um, didn't really think about. So it can be a really good one to read. I know that I uh, greatly enjoyed it. Um, you know, it depends on some of the topic. I have read a lot of books and I have a lot of books. In fact, I'm trying to clean, get rid of some of these books. Um, but, you know, some of my favorite books in general are going to be Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. That's a really, really good book. Um, I love Women's Anatomy of Arousal by Sherry Winston. Um, I love that she has all this art and quotes and all this stuff in there. It's a really fun uh, humorous read. Um, what are some of my other favorites? Oh my gosh! Any that speak specifically either to uh, to sexual freedom, catalyzing a, a more positive society, or sex as a transaction? Well, it'll be a very all of them <laughs> dry read. But um, there's a Willem Wright wrote a book called um, "The Mass Psychology of Fascism," in which mm. he talks about the link between sexual repression and the rise of a fascist state. So good to read, right? That sounds timely. <laughs> yeah. At the top of the list. It's mandatory reading now, everyone. Take note. Um, but yeah, there, there are, you know, there are a lot of, I think, um, wonderful books out there um, on this. Um, Urban Tantra, if you're interested, I know I mentioned Tantra a bit. I think that's a really good, just sort of, um, intro to it and I think the Barbara 
Carlos does a really good job of, you know, being humorous. Sometimes I think a little too silly, but, you know, just really, I think, making the ideas of Tantra more accessible. There's also uh, Slow Sex by Nicole, mm, I don't know how to say her last name. Her last name is D-A-E-D-O-N-E. Um, and she has a book called Slow Sex that I thought was really good, which is just about this slowing down in general. Nice. Yeah, and that reflects back what we were talking about too. Thank you so, so much, Jean-Pierre. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. We hope that this episode has given you something further to reflect upon. And you can reach out to us with your questions or insights on Instagram at Carnal Theory or at My Sex Bio. And you can check out more of Jean-Pierre's work um, on Twitter at Five Ring Sex Ed or via Gmail at Five Ring Sex Ed at gmail.com. Thank you. Carnal Theory is produced by My Sex Bio. Our sound design is by Audrey Cohane, and our theme music by Men the Universe. My Sex Bio is an educational platform built to empower people like you to take command of your sexual biography. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, and Spotify at My Sex Bio. Visit our website and join our e-letter at mysexbio.org and support our work by joining our Patreon. Thank you.